0: there, podcast listeners. It's Courtney Ellis. One quick note before today's show, I have a brand new book coming out. It's called Present, The Gift of Being All In Right Where You Are. It's a book about mindfulness and accepting the blessing of stability, what it is to grow deep roots and be fully present right where you are. It's something that birding has helped me cultivate and it's out tomorrow, March 7th, anywhere books are sold. And now to our show. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. Our guest today is Susie Finkbeiner. Susie is a brilliant novelist. She has written wonderful books. The book that is most suited for our purposes today is called The Nature of Small Birds. She's a birder who lives in Western Michigan, gets to see all sorts of wonderful Midwestern birds. Welcome Susie Finkbeiner.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am so delighted. I've been looking forward to this for so long.
0: It is so good to have you. We, Susie and I, have been digital virtual acquaintances through writing groups and and I think friends. Can I say friends? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and friends. She writes fiction. I write nonfiction. And I think there is a special kinship and appreciation when you're friends with a writer who writes very a very different style than you do. I, I'm amazed at people who write fiction. I don't know how it happens. It feels like magic to me. Susie, how do you do it? How do you write novels? You know,
1: the, the short answer of that is I have no clue. Because every time I start, every time I, I get going, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. How did I think that I could do this? So um, I, I usually start with a character. Hmm. And I build a story around that character or two characters or three. Honestly, the more I do this, the less I know how it works.
0: Where do you find your inspiration? Your books, many of them are historical fiction, and they're all very different from one another. Where do you begin and where do you find that inspiration? I read a
1: lot. And I think that that, that just keeps the creative juices flowing. Um, if I If I go through a season of not reading much, It just, it's kind of blocks me. So Hmm. I, uh, some writers don't read while they're writing and I don't know how they do that because that's what keeps it flowing. Um, And I am a history nerd. So I like to read different history books. I like to find obscure little pieces of history to just dive
0: into. Hmm. So the book we are talking about primarily today, The Nature of Small Birds, is set in 1975, the Vietnam War, and you draw these beautiful parallels between birds and children. And it was just really interesting and and kind of charming to me to, to notice these parallels that you drew out, both the fragility and the curiosity of birds and children, but also their resilience. I would love to hear more about how birds and birding influenced the writing of The Nature of Small Birds.
1: Well, I, I like to say that that was my pandemic novel. So I was home. I mean, I'm always home all the time, but I was home more. And often the excitement of the day was what bird came to my feeder and my kids and I were, would like run to the window and be as quiet as we could Um, but you know, I, I've always loved the imagery of God holding us in his hand and, um, of us being safe there and we can't go anywhere. The hand of God can't follow. And, um, I've often imagined that where we're the little birds and God is, is taking care of us and there's imagery of that in the bible even where god is is a mother bird bringing the little chicks under the wings and um and i've always really connected with that imagery and during the pandemic i was thinking about my kids and how quickly they're growing up they're teenagers they're all teenagers and they're all taller than me and it's going so quickly and I have to release them, but God never will release them. God will Mm -hmm. always have his hand ready, you know, following them around. Um, And hopefully they learn to follow him around too. Um, But that just, that imagery really stuck in my mind. And I am, I'm a big bird nerd. I've always loved birds. I've always been a nature girl. So um, nature imagery just always really speaks to me when I'm writing.
0: I appreciate the masterful way you handle imagery and metaphor and simile and all of these word pictures in your novels. You have these layers of illusion that really are profound and beautiful. And as I read your books, I I always have this question of what is it that makes a Christian author? What is it that makes Christian fiction? Because I think there are some Christian works of fiction that really smack you upside the head with Jesus and are just very like, did you get it yet? Are you understanding? But you you write these stories that there, there's one scene in one of your books where the character is sitting on a high school stage and there are props behind her and one of them is a tomb. And there's this metaphor there. There's this story there, but it's not... It's not overtly in your face. It's subtle. And that subtlety is beautiful. So I guess what I'm asking is, what makes a Christian book a Christian book? And how do you cross over into the more mainstream fiction market? Because I think there is a real and important place for books that point to this divine and sacred mystery without being really in your face. When you go outside, the whole natural world points to the love of God, but the sparrows have not arranged themselves (laughs) in the word Jesus, right? The, The sparrows are there, but there's a subtlety to the beauty of the natural world and the call of the natural world. So should we pray for your soul, Susie, because there is not a single altar call in any one of your books... Or is there something deeper at work? Are you modeling yourself after a Flannery O'Connor or, you know, these Christian writers that have this subtlety?
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, I always will take prayer, (laughs) but, um, you know, I think, I think that the way that I can please God best with my writing is, is by creating something beautiful and I don't always achieve it. Um, Sometimes it takes a lot of work and a lot of thrashing to get it to a place that's almost beautiful. Hmm. Um, but I don't think that the the gift God gave me is to write a book that is so explicitly Christian. Um, I think the, the gift that he gave me is to write something that is a little more um, implicit, a little more, Accessible. Um, I've realized over the past few years that probably 50% of my readers now, um, don't read primarily Christian fiction. Um, that's not saying they're not Christian, but they generally read general market books. And, um, and so because of that, I am gaining more of a general market readership. And there are people who are finding the books that are not Christian. And I don't, I want to offer them hope. I want them to have this story that they can think, okay, there's hope. There's not, this is not all doom. This is not all gloom. And even in difficult circumstances, good things can happen. Things Mm. can turn around. Um, And I think that if I wrote more explicit where there is an altar call at the end, I would lose those readers. And honestly, I think that, that it's really exciting to have readers um, find this, this nugget of hope. And um, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It really mm. is to my heart. And, um, and it's how I feel God is using my writing.
0: Mm. I agree. There's there's an invitational quality to it that it's not just for this specific category of people. And your books hold up in the general market. I think of you in the same category as I think of of writers who. It's not that they just happen to be Christian; it deeply informs their work. But it's not mm-hmm. um, it's not abrasive. It's not aggressive. It's it's invitational and it's gentle. I think of you in the category of of writers like Leif Inger and and Flannery O'Connor and and Sean Smucker, who's one of the you know contemporaries oh, that I know. Where- right that the books are written from a christian perspective but in a way that is very very the the embrace is very wide i as i've been starting this podcast our oldest son who's in a very he's in the age where thinking is very binary it's yes or no it's this or that it's right <laughs> or wrong and he says is it a christian podcast mom and i said well kind of and kind of not and he said well why would you waste your time on something that's not a christian podcast and i said well you know, we we believe that all truth is God's truth and that you learn something when you talk to a scientist about the wingbeats of a sparrow that points yeah. to Jesus, even if that scientist doesn't believe in Jesus or or holds to a different faith tradition than we do. And that is the goal of this podcast is to point people toward hope. And hope is a big story and a long story. And your books do that so beautifully. And I'm glad they're finding a a wide market readership because they, they hold up. And I recommend these books to people of faith and people who aren't people of faith, knowing that they will read them and not feel that there's been a bait and switch. Like, oh, my Christian friend is trying to, you know, trying to drag me kicking and screaming into the into this camp but instead it's just a really great story and they're beautifully written and your characters feel like they live next door to me i i grew up in wisconsin and so a lot of your books are set in the midwest and it feels like coming home i'm like i know these people that's exactly what they would do on a sunday afternoon well it's funny to me because someone from california
1: was reading one of my books and it was the all manner of things and she said well i don't know why there were no hippies and i was like well you have to understand it was west michigan not Sacramento or San Francisco. Like there were hippies everywhere in California, not
0: necessarily in Northern Michigan. <laughs> yes. We, we got the hippies in Wisconsin and Michigan in like the late eighties. It just, it, everything <laughs> takes a little longer. Honestly, I grew up United Methodist
1: in Lansing. So Lansing is like the state capital for anyone that doesn't know of Michigan and Michigan state universities right there. So we always had hippies in Lansing, but Especially in the 80s. I went to church with a lot of old hippies.
0: It was like creating clear water revival at my church. So tell me about your birding journey. How did you first get into birds and, and become a self-proclaimed bird nerd? Well, you know what? Okay, so this is gonna sound funny. And I don't often talk about this, but
1: I was kind of a Boy Scout. <laughs> my my dad was a scoutmaster and I was a tomboy, so it made sense that I would hang out with the boys. And um, we would go for hikes. And there was this one nature center in Lansing, Fenner Arboretum. And we would go for walks. And my dad would say, Do you hear that? What kind of bird is that? Do you hear that? What kind of bird is that? See this feather. What, you know? And so he would quiz us on Michigan, mid-Michigan birds. And it was always so exciting because he was always looking for the fox, though. That was what he wanted. But I wanted to find all the birds. Hmm. And I just, it it kind of stopped when I was in high school because I was too cool. <laughs> but then after I had kids and we would go for a hike and we would do the deer ear, like where you cup your your hands behind your ears so we can hear better And I would teach them, that's the cardinal, or that's a starling. Starlings are crazy. Or all of these different birds. And being a mom just really reignited it. Hmm. And then as I started writing fiction, I was like, birds are the best metaphor. They just are. And I have to work at not putting them into everything. (laughs) No, you don't. Just give into it, Susie. It's okay. okay.
0: It's okay. (laughs)
1: I have a bird dress so it's it's this mint green dress that has like birds all over it and I went to a writers conference and one thing I've learned about writers conference here's a writing tip for all the people that are listening if you go to a conference where something that's memorable hmm. because people will know who you are and the whole weekend they were like it's the bird lady it's the bird <laughs> it was awesome.
0: In your, in your birding days, following your dad around, listening to those bird calls, did you have any inkling that you wanted to grow up and be a writer? Was that a lifelong dream? You know, I think that I was always there.
1: I've always been, I grew up in a story-focused family. So mm. I just, I didn't realize that other families weren't storytellers, but my family, everybody in my family is a storyteller. And... um so it just made sense. Story is how I think I'm a big, I was a big reader even then. Um, and so when I, when I started writing in late elementary school, it was just to process things that were going on in my life and for fun and writing stories with my friends. And I, every time there was like extra credit, I would write something and um, I loved it, but I never thought it could be a career because mm. it's it seems so inaccessible and um and so when it actually happened i i was very shocked mm.
0: <laughs> very shocked and a book contract just fell out of the sky that's how that happens right there's no hard work involved <laughs> you just have to get lucky <laughs>
1: well you know with me it was a little different i i feel like mm. every every contract that i've gotten has been um when I haven't been forcing it. Hmm. So, you know, my first novel, I was sending to agents, and I kept getting rejections, which is good. You have to learn how to take a rejection. And then it just wasn't happening. And so I I decided I'm going to give it a rest, just work on my craft. Hmm. And this was back in the day when blogs were, like, super cool. And I had a fiction writing blog, and I... Hmm. I asked my friends, give me story ideas. So a character, a setting and a conflict. And I'll write a short story in the month of September for every idea. And I thought I'd get three or four and I got 32. So I did it and it, I, it, it stretched me. Like it, it was the a masterclass for learning mm. how to write fiction. And then an editor was following it all month. And she contacted me and said, Um, if you have a novel, I want to see it. And I was like, hold on, let me clean it up a little. And then I'll,
0: and that's how that happened. I want to send you the pretty version (laughs) as pretty as it can get. I love that. The, as the rejections are coming, and that is such a big part of the writing life is you can't, you know, you sometimes you do need to fall apart for a little bit but then you go on right it's there's yeah. there's a there's a rhythm to it there's going to be another rejection there's going to be another one but that you didn't just sit down you decided okay i'm going to work on my craft and so much of writing is that labor it's that craft it's that how could this sentence be better is this character believable um you know i need a, i need outside eyes to look at this because mm-hmm. it looks good to me but that's because i've spent way too much time with it um <laughs> so you're your book journey has taken you to all these different historical periods. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a, do you feel like a historical home? Oh, the sixties. I Mm. love writing in the sixties. Um,
1: I think there are many reasons for that. Number one, um, the music is just so great. I could listen to the sixties music exclusively and be fine. Um, And also it makes me understand my parents a little bit better because I'm diving into what it would be like for them. And I'm walking in their shoes a little bit Mm -hmm. and they love answering my questions about the sixties. They love talking about it and baby boomers want to talk about the (laughs) sixties. So it's been really fun to get to know different people in that generation and hear about Because it was seismic change, culturally, technologically, um, with the war, with music, with fashion. It changed. It was just 10 years of of nonstop change. Mm. And there's so many echoes from what we're living in now,
0: going back to the 60s. I was standing behind the, at our church, the youth group sits in front on Sunday and I was standing behind them in worship and, and just noticing like so many of the fashion trends are early nineties right now. And so many of the others are sixties. Like there's this fashion mashup and I was like, this is fascinating. You know, I had that in my closet and I think my mom had that in her closet and it, yeah. all, comes, it all comes back around.
1: But some of the nineties things that are coming back, I'm like, no, like I don't, I walk through target and I'm like, why, why that? Like there were way better things in the
0: nineties. Cause that was when was, I was in high school. It wasn't good the first time. Why is this our color palette? Well, yeah. Weird oh, shades of brown. Lots of weird shades of brown. And that's <laughs> the seventies coming in. Right. It's all coming for us. <laughs> do you see any overlaps between birding and writing? How do those two things influence each other for you? Oh, for sure. Um, that was a very emphatic response (laughs) um
1: I think first of all with birding you have to be so patient you just do because you could go for a hike one day and you see all of the great like all of the birds that you adore you could see a pileated woodpecker and it's the most exciting thing those things are magical I don't know if you have them in California but they're like they're enormous And they're, it's like a dinosaur flying across the sky. Um, They're so cool. And I get really abnormally excited when I see them because they're so shy. But anyway, um, you have, but then another time you go for a hike and all you see are sparrows. And you're like, I could see them out my front window, you know, but it takes patience because then you go back another day and you see something else. So the writing life takes so much patience Mm. because you have to be patient with yourself, have grace with yourself. Some days the writing is going to be on point and you're going to feel good. Other Mm. days the writing is going to be just awful and painful and like slog. Um, Mm. But then you just keep going. You keep persevering with it and you keep trying. Um, Another metaphor that I like, um, kind of a comparison is saying that it's like when I put birdseed out. Um, When I first started putting birdseed out, I read that there was a a rule of twos with birds. They'll come to your feeder in two minutes, two days, two weeks, two months, whenever they want. And you just have to wait. But they'll find it eventually. Hmm. And it's kind of like, I can write something and I can put it out there and I can offer it. I don't know when it's going to get attention. I don't know who's going to come and read it. But then I just need to sit back and delight in those that do Mm. and delight in like the birds that come. I need to delight in the people that come and read.
0: Mm. Because you can't force the birds and you can't force the
1: readers. Exactly. All you can do, your responsibility as a writer is to offer. That's your responsibility. And to serve. And if people aren't ready for the way you serve, somebody will be, somebody will be. It will serve someone, maybe not who you expect, but that's kind of how God works. And that's exciting. Say more about that. I think that um, in my early days of writing, I had this expectation that if I I wrote something, that God would honor it by making it like a New York Times bestseller. (laughs) And I I had I wasn't I wasn't naive enough to think it would happen right away. I think I thought it would happen over time. Um and when I first started writing, I thought that I would switch to the general market right away. Um but God has has He's changed my expectations, which is good because I don't think it's healthy to strive to be a bestseller. Um, because you will be disappointed and you're doing it for the wrong reason. <laughs> um, but the readers the the readers that have been with me since the very beginning are people that I would never have expected. They're people from college that that have become even dearer friends. They're people that I've never met in person. And I'm just shocked that they found my books. The other day on Instagram, some woman um, uh, tagged me in her story and said, I just pre-ordered it. And I clicked on her, her profile and her name is Susan Finkbeiner. And she's like a model and a scientist. And I was like, well, okay, we got, a, we got the same name. That's kind of rare. But um, like how, how God is bringing these people that I, I'm just baffled, like how, how they found it. And it's just so exciting to see how, how God is orchestrating it. And it's not me pushing for it. Mm. Um, I think that, that what God wants from me is to be faithful with the way that I'm serving the readers, not going out and like strong arming anybody.
0: That's so wise because people pick up on that. People don't want to be sold a bill of goods or strong-armed into believing something that they're not ready for. And, and I, I always try to remember in my own writing that the reader is smart. The reader is just as smart as I am, most likely much smarter. So treat them accordingly with that same dignity and respect. Well, and what you do so well is you, when I'm reading one of your books,
1: as soon as I open it, I feel like I am welcome into a safe place and that I'm sitting down across from you at a table and we both have a cup of something warm and delicious and cozy. And it feels like we're having a conversation and that you, you don't judge. You are accessible. You're kind and warm. And I think that with nonfiction, um, Sometimes there can be this temptation to be arrogant in saying, this is how you do it. But with you, I feel like you're always like, here's an idea. What do you think about this? What works for you? Um, and, and you give so much hope because it's, it's been a hard few years, right? And just having, having a book that you can read that says you can enjoy life. You have you.
0: This is permission to to be happy. I'm still a little starstruck that you have read my books. You're 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 someone who's a few steps ahead of me on the writing journey, and you've been someone who one of the best things about entering into the writing world has been the generosity of so many writers. And I, I expected it to be very cutthroat and very, you know, like there's only room for me, there's not room for you, but so many people, and, and you were one of them from the start would kind of reach a hand down and say like, welcome, like, let's, let's talk. Welcome to the, welcome to the, it's not a club, but welcome to the, the world of writing. And it's, it's a beautiful, fun world to be a part of. And you, you model this idea that there's room enough for every one because not every book is for everyone. There's always room for another novel. There's always room for another work of nonfiction. And um, that generosity and that expansiveness of spirit is, is has been something that I've just, I've loved witnessing and has been a model for me in how I try to extend that hand down to writers who are a step or two behind me in the process because they're just getting going. You know, it's, it's a big table. The publishing world is a big
1: table. And it keeps, we're like, keep on putting leaves in the table and pulling up chairs. And I've been so delighted to see um, publishers catching on to that and looking, seeking out voices that have been underrepresented and mm-hmm. um, and encouraging their authors to to, you know, get to know each other. And I think that that's so essential because this is such a hard it's a hard gig, and it's demoralizing
0: sometimes, yeah, and we and we it's do. weirdly lonely. it can be weirdly lonely if you don't find those people to walk beside you mm-hmm. and like, yeah, I got a rejection, and everyone goes, "Oh, that's a bummer, try again yeah yeah and And I think that
1: I live in a uniquely um privileged area because there are writers everywhere here um the publishing community is we all know each other and we bump into each other at Meyer. and I actually got a contract because of an interaction oh Meyer is a grocery store sorry
0: m-i-m-e-i-j-e-r for those of you not from the correct. midwest it's a thing yes. <laughs> and also if they say Meijer's
1: that's also correct but, but um also <laughs> acceptable but um but I, I got my contract one time from an interaction I had at the grocery store. Like, that's <laughs> Grand Rapids. <laughs> it's it's wild over here. And so I forget um, that most of the country, most of the world doesn't have that advantage. Oh, it is hard. But um, I'm so, that's, this is one reason I'm thankful for th- technology. Because mm-hmm. we can connect and we can we can just zip a little encouraging note to each other. And um, I can't wait for writers conferences to, to really get picked back up um, so that I can meet people in person that I've been interacting with online for so long.
0: My, my favorite one is the Calvin Festival of Faith and Writing. And every year when they send the email and say, not this year, but next year, I'm like, come on. That one was my favorite. That was such a delight. And and there is something about seeing people in person when you've only seen their little screen profile at, you know, an inch and a half and everyone's taller or shorter than you imagined them. And everyone has a different voice than you imagined, but there's this thread of, Oh, I know you, you know, I've, I've, I've seen your, your ups and your downs and we've been together in this and what a joy to be able to hug someone or share coffee. It's got to come back. What other writers conferences do you like to go to? You know, I used to help run Breathe Writers
1: Conference here in Grand Rapids, and um, that was a a casualty of COVID, unfortunately. But um, that one felt like a family reunion because um, it was smaller, and um, man, I loved that one. Um, but I, it's it's been hard to to reconnect with them since COVID, and but I am traveling to one in the summer. Can't remember which month in Oregon. Cool. Yeah, I've never been there, so I'm really excited. And so I think I'll see some of the fiction authors that I've been connecting with. Um, one author that I've known online for ten years and never met in person. It's it's crazy. Mm. It's just
0: crazy. I think the the writers section of the new heaven and the new earth on the, on the other side of the apocalypse It's going to be a really fun place to hang out. <laughs> yeah. And my husband's afraid of that. <laughs> I will finally have time to read all the books.
1: <laughs> I always say, because people are like, regret that they can't read everything. And I'm like, heaven's going to have the best library. Like it gives us joy to read. It's a way that God enriches our souls. So why wouldn't he continue to have that accessible to us?
0: totally all the books and all the birds it's gonna be a good time
1: and a bird like will sit on you and not poop (laughs) like just be a friend
0: I was talking to a biologist the other week about banding birds and she was like and they always poop on you she's like but it's good because you can study that too and I was like yeah (laughs) yeah you're a biologist all right it's true one time my my son um
1: I guess she was in elementary school he had to have been like first grade and we were out on a hike or something and a bird pooped on him and he went
0: oh fresh from the oven You're we <laughs> like what some cultures believe that that's good luck so you know I've heard that there I you go he's he's a blessed he's a blessed child he really he is he's the he's really sweet he's really fun so Susie, you have so many birds that we don't have out here that are so common in Michigan, but I miss them. I'm I'm the person who, you know, gets out of the airplane at O'Hare and I'm like, oh, "It's a blue jay." And people are like, "Yeah. So so what? It's a blue jay." Um what is your favorite bird and what are the birds that you're looking forward to seeing this spring? What are the birds that are going to come back through Michigan? You know,
1: okay, so one that visits me often is a nut a nut hatch. Um And I like the nuthatch because they're so chill. Like the other birds will be like doing their little rivalry thing. And the nuthatch just watches, them. like, you done? And then it goes and gets its bird seed when everybody else is like done fighting and squabbling. And I just, I love that, it's so funny to me because they just, they literally watch everybody else fighting. Um, And I feel like that's me because I'm the youngest of four. So I would just watch my siblings and be like, you guys done? <laughs> um, and then the Pileated Woodpecker is my favorite woodpecker. Um, mm. And I, I just, I, they're just so cool. Um, and a bird that I'm looking forward to coming back through are the Orioles, the Baltimore mm. Orioles. Um, we have a few that nest, nearby. And actually right before the nature of small birds released, um, had a very tragic story with an Oriole. Um, Mm. it was, it was awful. And I couldn't, I couldn't go to bed without seeing what happened. Um, he Orioles nests. One thing about them is that they're woven with all of these twigs and it's like this intricate thing, but because of that, his, his foot got stuck. And he, he was trying to get back into the nest and the other Oriole was trying to help him. And then some hawks came and, and, but then the Blue Jays, they chased the Hawks off. And it's really tempting to think the Blue Jays were protecting the Oriole. No, they just didn't want the Hawks nearby. But, um, but I was texting my friend Bruce who I based a character on in The Nature of Small Birds. And he, because he's my birding guy. Like if I have a question, I ask Bruce about many things, not just birds, but he's just that kind of friend. And I texted him. I was like, what do I do? I can't get to the nest at 60 feet in the air. And he said, pray because God cares. Even about Mm -hmm. that bird, God cares. And he said, you know how the story ends. And he's like, it ends with God caring. Mm. And he said, I'm praying for your kids because he knew my kids were tender-hearted, um, just like their mom. But, um, and the Oriole didn't make it. And it was so emotional. But it just was one of those moments where I was like, God does care. He does, so vastly, not, not a single bird. Flies through the air without him knowing where it's going and why. Hmm. Um, he sets the migration patterns. He painted them in all these fabulous colors and even in some that that go tawny and and kind of more subdued in the winter time. Um, it's just such it's just a, a a way for me to to think about how I'm so much more valuable than a bird. And yet the care that goes into the birds, it's astounding. It really is. But yeah, I love the Orioles. I I put oranges out constantly and we watch them and they
0: poop orange. It's great. (laughs) Speaking of, (laughs) Bruce is a good friend. That is a beautiful word. Yeah, Bruce is,
1: um, we, we serve on the worship team at church together. And, Mm -hmm. um, Bruce, we've all decided Bruce is all of our uncles. He's my, he's everybody's uncle. Like he's the best. (sighs) Ah, yeah. He's Daryl
0: and I, Daryl and I have a friend named Chris and, he he's Bruce-like and we always say you know with whatever your theology of the end times is and the rapture Daryl and I my husband Daryl and I make a lot of rapture jokes and we always say you know has the rapture happened I don't know call Chris because he's gonna go first because he's holier (laughs) than we are Bruce sounds like Chris (laughs) check on Bruce if Bruce is still here then the rapture hasn't happened
1: (laughs) you know I think there's a lot to that but it's it's so funny because people are like not knowing that Bruce is a real human being after reading The Nature of Small Birds, they're like, I wish I could just have a cup of coffee with Bruce.
0: I was like, call him. He'd say yes. And that's just one more reason that you all need to pick up The Nature of Small Birds. It's <laughs> available all over anywhere books are sold. I will also link to it in the show notes and I'll link to Susie so you can find her. Um, Susie, where are you finding hope these days? Oh man, you know,
1: I, so many places. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try and narrow it down. I think that one of the places that I'm finding a lot of hope is just in the small kindness of God in the day to day. Um, I see the kindness in moments where it's like some, something just works out Mm -hmm. that should have been difficult, but it's not. Or, um, And particularly right now in West Michigan, it is very dreary. And it's, you know, Wisconsin is probably much the same. It is gray for months and months. And in January, I think we've had maybe 10 minutes of sunshine so far. Um, But when that blue sky breaks through the clouds, it is a reminder that not all is lost, that just because it's gloomy right now doesn't mean it's going to be gloomy always. Um, and I think that that's something that I need to remember in my, my personal life as yeah. well. And honestly, I'm finding so much hope in my kids. Um, they're, they're teenagers. Being a teenager now is so different. But they're good. They're good. And I see the goodness of God in them. And I see the ways that they're kind and -hmm. the ways that um, it's not dreadful. You know, it's being a mom of teens isn't dreadful. And just having my family and, and seeing the ways that they want to serve. And like yesterday, we go to Sunday or Saturday night church. And my boys were serving with the kindergartners.
0: That is is a labor of love right there.
1: uh Uh-huh. Because those kindergartners are crazy. But but my boys were disappointed because we had a guest preacher that they adore, John Dixon, Mm -hmm. who is like the modern day C.S. Lewis, I'm pretty sure. But he was preaching and they were sad because they missed him. And I slept in on Sunday morning and I got up and one of my boys was on his own, watching the sermon online. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, I didn't have to remind him or tell him how he knew how to access that. And he had a desire to learn Mm -hmm. something about the Bible. And that just,
0: I was like, oh, that's grace. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kindness. That it's becoming their own faith journey and not the yeah. one you you hand to them because you do you work as a parent to hand this to them in ways that they will understand and in ways that are, you know, part of this big story of God and you're part of it. But it's ultimately it's up to them and up to Jesus whether this sticks. And what a beautiful thing to be able to watch that
1: mm-hmm. sticking. Yeah. Yeah. It is beautiful. And it's, it's just, it's, it's the best. It really is.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I hear from people all the time, just wait till they're teenagers because we are in that young parenting phase right now. Our oldest is 10, our youngest is four where we're just physically exhausted all the time. You know, I'm just constantly like tying shoes and packing <laughs> lunches. And um, But the more I talk to parents of teenagers who are in it right now, there is not that same fear. There's like, no, no, they're interesting. Like we have these wonderful oh, yeah. conversations. They ask amazing questions. And I'm like, I'm I'm all in for that. That sounds great.
1: Yeah. And you can watch, like, my kids have been begging to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I was like, are you sure? You might not get it, because it's British. And um, so we we watched it together, and they got some of the jokes. And that was kind of nice. There were some things that I was like, oh, I forgot about that.
0: Right? Oops. I always but, um, forget those pieces. I'm like, oh, okay, we have to have a chat about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're at the point where we have a similar sense of humor mm-hmm. we and here's the thing people talk about how teenagers don't talk all right here's what you do you take them to starbucks you get them a frappuccino and you drive in the car and they'll just talk the <laughs> caffeine and not having to look at you it will get them going and it is the it is so good and spending one on one time with them is is my favorite it's so mm. much fun
0: they're different people when you pull them away from the pack oh and yeah they get that one-on-one
1: yeah in particular since my boys are twins so mm. you know there's always that they're always lumped together and mm. they're
0: very different it's, it has to be nice as a twin to have moments where your name is not connected by an and yeah yep yep <laughs> <laughs> Well, Susie, what are you working on right now? I think most people don't realize how long it takes a book to go from those beginning writing stages to actually holding it in your hand. Even when you submit it to the publisher, there are months and months, sometimes years between <laughs> submitting it and, and holding it. We're, we're planning a women's retreat at our church right now based on my book that's coming out in, in February or March. And they kept asking me questions to prep. And I was like, I don't remember. Like I, I wrote it <laughs> two years ago. I've written a book since then that's going to come out in 2024. Like Let me, let me do some research on my own writing and figure out what I was talking about. And, and hopefully I still believe it all. Um, <laughs> what, what are you working on right now? And what is the timeline?
1: Well, I have a book releasing in July called oh. the all American. And this is
0: very wonderful, exciting news, Susie. July. <laughs> July, July of this year.
1: Yes. This this one took me, um, I was supposed to have it turned in May of 2021. And I couldn't do it. I was burned out. Mm. And um, one thing I've learned about the publishing world is that if you say the word burnout, people mobilize. They, they work fast to get things um, rescheduled if they can. Because burnout is, is a real danger. Um, because our publishing schedules are so tight. And for a writer like me, that's, that's not healthy. So um, mm. my agent and I are reevaluating timelines um, just so I can do this in a, a more healthy way. Um, so I got the gift of an extra year to write this novel and it's set in 1952. So Bertha's a baseball player and Flossie, um, is a crazy 11 year old.
0: <laughs> Flossie, what a great name. Yeah. Um, like her already.
1: Yeah. I, she's, she's one of the most dear characters. Um, super vulnerable, but, um, she so their dad is accused of being a communist Mm. uh, during the detroit red scare and so it's dealing with that what what does it mean to be an american um Mm. who am i what what does what what is this uh so and finding good in all things um there's lots of shakespeare in it which i'm a super nerd so i'm all about it but um so that one comes out in July. So right now I'm doing a lot of scheduling, like visits to libraries and bookstores. Um, and I'm working on a secret project that I have not gotten the green light to share yet. So um, it's kind of fun to be, it's different. It's very different from what I usually do. It's nice to have have something else, something different. Mm. It's
0: fiction, but in a different way. I'm excited. So the title <laughs> of the new book coming out in July is The All-American? guests. And it comes yes. out in July. That's such a perfect, like we got our fireworks, we got our flags waving <laughs> and we have Susie's yeah. new book right, yeah. right at the time where we want that new novel in our hands because mm. it's summer and it's hot and I'm going to sit by the beach or sit by the air conditioner and go into this whole new world. Um
1: yeah. And hopefully the, the Detroit Lions, like they're inspired that there's a book that mentions them several times. Maybe, maybe they'll actually have a good year.
0: It couldn't hurt. I mean, we can we can pull it all the stops and see what we can do for your your poor lions. Oh, Susie, I'm so looking forward to your next book and I cannot recommend the rest of your novels highly enough. There's The Nature of Small Birds. There's All Manner of Things. There is the, I'm going to read them off the back so I get the titles proper. Uh, the Stories That Bind Us, A Cup of Dust, A Trail of Crumbs, A Song of Home. Susie writes from a beautiful Midwestern perspective. I think the Midwestern perspective is often one that's lost. There's so many books about New York city and so many books about Miami and so many books about Southern California. But if you are from the Midwest, you will find yourself in her stories. And if you are not, the Midwest is a lovely place to spend some hours. Yeah. People here are nice. And if you read the book, no mosquitoes will bite you. So you get the full Midwestern experience (laughs) without the the bit of misery that you get. If you actually live there.
1: Yeah. No black flies. No those things nasty.
0: Oh, we used to take a camping trip our family to uh, the north shore of or the south shore of Lake Superior and I remember pulling up one year and we looked up in the sky and normally we would go a weekend before all the bugs were out. but we looked up in the sky and it was like clouds oh. and and my friend's father said, hmm, there must have been a hatch. And I said, shouldn't your next phrase be get back in the car? (laughs) Like, do we really have to do this? I was so much tougher when I used to live in the Midwest, Susie. California is making me soft. I I do. I think that
1: there is a certain toughness of Michiganders and and other Midwesterners. But um, we went one time, we were doing a 10 mile hike up in the UP, which is the upper peninsula of Michigan for um, non Midwesterners. And um, the reasons you go to the UP, are to get fudge and to see some wilderness. And so we got fudge and then we saw some wilderness and um my husband we we apply, applied all the bug spray and then he tossed the bug spray back in the car and we went for this hike worst decision
0: ever <laughs> once the deet melts off you're just at the oh. mercy of yeah well, Susie, I love your books. I love your woodpeckers. I love your No Drama Nuthatch. I think we should make t-shirts, with No Drama Nuthatch. <laughs> that is a great idea. I'm gonna when you all are done having your thing, I'm right over here waiting for the bird here. <laughs> <feeder. laughs> Thank you so much. I know your books are on Amazon. Where else can we find you? Where else can we find your, your work? Can we follow you on Twitter? You are just as delightful on social media as you are in an interview, which is a hard nut to crack sometimes. Oh, Thank you. Um,
1: you can find me on Twitter, but um, I am most active on Instagram. I mm-hmm. love Instagram. Um, but if you find me,
0: make sure I'm not the science model,
1: <laughs> Susan
0: her. I mean, she sounds lovely also. You can follow she, her, but she won't have any books for you. No, no, probably not. I, I don't think so.
1: But um, follow me on Instagram. And, and Baker book house has all my books and they're, they're actually cheaper than Amazon.
0: Nice. yes. This is a good tip. Often buying directly from the publisher, you save a little, a little money and it's a great way to support those publishers. Yes. Yes.
1: I'm a big indie publisher, indie bookstore girl. So, um, I'd love to connect with anybody and, um, I'm so grateful for this time. It has been such a fun conversation and getting to know you in like one-on-one, not just typing.
0: Thank you so much, Susie, for the gift of your time. I'm looking forward to the day we meet in person. I hope it is on this side of the eschaton. I want to I wanna meet you in, in this world <laughs> and then we'll hang out and read books in the next as well. I would love that. I would. Well, everyone check out Susie's work, The Nature of Small Birds. I'll link to all of her social media in the show notes and look forward with me to Susie's July release of The All-American. I'm going to sign off here and I'm going to go pre-order that right now. It's like a, few, a gift to my future self. I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Susie. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Your soul. Yes, it does.